John writing, the Apostle John, I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. I hope we can see, if you've been here at all the last few weeks, and even if you just look at the page that this bit's on, these verses feel a bit different to what has gone before. So the NIV, the version we use here, prints them as poetry. So they're spaced out, lines, staggered out in the page. I've got to say, why do our Bibles, a lot of our English Bibles, do that? Well, it's clear the Bible's written originally not in English, but in the original Greek, ancient Greek, the New Testament. And the Apostle John's writing in a different style to how he's been writing before. This is a break in the flow of the letter. And with these verses we're looking at today, John is giving his readers and himself just a chance to stop and to pause and to think about all that he's been saying to us. As if John's saying to Jerusalem, okay, I've said a lot, I'm going to stop for a minute and let the truths we've been looking at really sink in before we move on. And actually, in, in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, there's actually a moment in a lot of Psalms that happens like this. There's a Hebrew word, selah. And selah is a moment in the Psalms when the writer says, okay, stop, pause, let that sink in for a moment. So this bit of 1 John's a bit like that. He's saying, right, I'm going to pause, we're moving on, and let that sink in for us. And so if you've been here the last few weeks, if you've not been here the last few weeks, just to remind us where we've got to in 1 John so far. He begins this amazing letter telling us this astonishing truth that God, the living God, the eternal God who made the whole universe has come near to us in Jesus. That's the focus of the opening verses. Jesus, the eternal word of life, John calls him, the son of God has come near to us, has become one of us a man that John and the other disciples could see and hear and even touch. And now the Christian message is all about the life and light that only Jesus brings, but that he brings to anyone who will trust in him. And that's the the next bit we looked at the last couple of weeks. God is light, and he invites us to walk in his light by trusting in Jesus. The, The picture John gives us of the Christian life, it's walking in the light says John. And what does that mean? Well, John showed us. It means, first of all, we can be honest about our sin and our failings and ask God to forgive us because of Jesus. We don't have to hide those things we're guilty of. We can go to God with him. We can be washed clean of our sin, says John, thanks to Jesus' death on the cross for us. And then once we've been washed clean, amazingly, we can grow more like Jesus over time as we look to him and as we learn to love one another the way he first loved us. If you like me, you're going to have that tune in your head we've just done. But we love because he first loved us. And so here in verses 12 to 14, he's inviting his readers to think, right, let that sink in for a moment. His big goal in this section, as in the whole of 1 John, is to encourage and strengthen his readers with who Jesus is and all that Jesus has done for everyone who trusts in him. And John's doing that because he actually knows that the Christians he's writing to 2,000 years ago need encouraging. So we're going to see next week in our next bit of 1 John, we learn quite a bit about these Christians. 
John's writing to. They belong to a number of churches in modern-day Turkey. And recently, some people have left their churches and rejected what they have been teaching about Jesus. And more than just leaving, the people who've left, they've been telling the believers left behind that they're wrong about Jesus, and they need to listen to them instead. So people have left them. They've rejected their, what they said about Jesus. And they say, actually, you're stupid to believe that about Jesus. Listen to us instead. And as a result of all that, John's original readers were feeling weak, feeling unsettled, and probably full of doubts. They're thinking, maybe we got it wrong. Maybe we're wrong about Jesus. Maybe we should stop listening to John and the other apostles and listen to the people who've left. So the people that John's writing to are Christians who feel weak and weary and full of doubt. And I want to see that is why this letter of 1 John is such a precious gift and has been a precious gift to Christians for hundreds of years. Because it's a letter written to people who are doubting, who are feeling weak. I'm just going to let you into a secret. Every Christian I've ever met, including me, struggles with doubt. Every Christian I know will have questions that come to them regularly in this world. Is God really there? I don't know. Is he really there? Am I kidding myself? Is God really good? Maybe he's there, but is he good? Does God really love me? We sing about it. We, we hear about it. But is that true? And when Christians feel like that, sometimes we feel, well, I can't say to anyone I'm feeling like that because no one else feels like that. If I say something out loud, I'm going to let other Christians down. I'm going to let God down. I feel like I'm the only one asking those questions. And then we open a letter like 1 John. And we see that God, in his love and wisdom, has given us a letter written to Christians who have doubts. 1 John is written to Christians who are feeling weak and weary and unsure whether they're on the right path. They're surrounded by people who don't believe what they believe. You're trying to persuade them to stop trusting in Jesus, and they're, they're unsettled. They're, they're feeling their faith getting chipped away. And so John writes this letter. He writes to encourage his readers, actually, if you're trusting in Jesus, you really do have eternal life. You really are walking in the light. You really are the children of God loved by him. And so to help Christians who are struggling with doubt, John lifts their eyes away from themselves and lifts their eyes to Jesus, who he is and what he has won for us. I think John has a really precious message for all of us, that, that true assurance, that's a word Christians used to say, say, do I know I'm a Christian? His true assurance doesn't rest on us and how well we're doing. It rests on Jesus, who he is and all that he's done for us in living and dying and rising again. John's readers knew they weren't strong or wise, but what they could do was they could trust in Jesus, the God who has come near to us. And that's what John wants to encourage his readers with in this short bit we're looking at today. So looking at um, 1 John verses 12 to 14, first of all, who is John speaking to here? Well, actually, there seem to be, at first glance, three groups of people John's speaking to here. Um, he's speaking to dear children, to fathers, and to young men. And we may think, well, that's three different groups. But actually, when you look at the dear children bit, that's actually John's favorite way of writing to all Christians. 
So you look all the way through the letter. I'm going to list some of them. Chapter 2, verses 1, 18, and 28. Chapter 3, verses 7 and 18. Chapter 4, verse 4. Chapter 5, verse 21. You've all written that down. Um, but no, dear children, is kind of, it's the way John says, this is speaking to the whole church. So when he says, dear children, he's talking to all the Christians he's writing to. But then the other two descriptions kind of focus in a little bit. So dear children, every Christian, but fathers and young men describe certain groups of Christians. So the fathers seems to describe older believers. And the young men, maybe surprisingly, describes younger believers. And John uses masculine terms here, but most commentators agree that actually what he has to say applies to men and women. So the New Living Translation translates the titles fathers as you who are mature and young men, you who are young. So what do we learn about the churches that John's writing to here? Well, I think we learned something really important and precious that we can see something of right here and now in this room. That a church belonging to Jesus has people of all ages in it. John is writing to different groups of people. He says, in one sense, you're all dear children, but also he gets that some of them are older and some of them are younger. And he writes to all of them to encourage them. Again, there's no Sunday club or Source AM today. So we're all together in this room this morning. So I want to just try an experiment. So um, everyone, please, if you are able, can everyone please stand? If you're able, you can stand. You don't have to, but you can, yes. So the experiment is this. I'm going to get people to sit down according to the years they were born, okay? So this is an experiment. We're going to give this a go. Okay, so let me get my notes, get this right. Okay, so if you were born between the years 2010 and 2023, well done if you're understanding me, if you're born in 2023, sit down. So between 2010 and 2023, that's kind of, yeah, primary school with people maybe just nudging into secondary school, okay? Okay, that's some people, look around, okay. If you're born between 2000 and 2009, sit down. Oh, I feel old because some people, that's scary that is. But that's, that's kind of everyone in secondary school, most people at university, up to some adults and younger adults. If you were born between 1990 and 1999, sit down. Again, Looking good, the 90s there. Okay, now, at this point, everyone's standing. Uh, some people standing. You sit down if you have as well as you do. I'm going to name it at this point. This is controversial. I'm going to go for it. The people you've sat, sat down count as the younger people, the younger believers. Either you will love me or you'll hate me. Talk to me afterwards. But, but so you who are young, John writes. And what does John say to the younger believers? He says, if you trust in Jesus, he says, your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. You know the Father. You have overcome the evil one. You are strong because the word of God lives in you. That is to younger believers, John says, those amazing truths. Now, carrying on. If you're born in the 1980s, sit down. Okay, this, this is cruel, isn't it? Let's keep moving. If you're born in the 1970s, sit down. Okay. If you're born in the 1960s, sit down. Oh, this is great. The 1950s and the 1940s. And there we go. And run applause for everyone. I'm trying not to offend anyone. Now, again, I've, I've just clapped the older believers because you need 
encouragement. I'm one of you. But anyway, that, if you're sitting down that saying, you are the older believers, I'm naming it. You who are mature. And what does John say to you? Well, he says, if you trust in Jesus, look down, your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. Just that's true. If you're trusting in Jesus, you know him who is from the beginning, Jesus, the son of God. And he says, you know the father. Again, amazing descriptions. Now, what John says of each age group in these verses is actually true of everyone who trusts in Jesus, whatever their age. But by addressing different age groups slightly differently, John's reminding his readers of a precious truth that a church belonging to Jesus has people of all ages in it. It has fathers, young men, older believers, younger believers. We are family is one of the big pictures the New Testament gives. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. More than that, we have mothers and fathers in Christ. Sometimes you are the mother and father. Sometimes you, you look to someone else as the mother and father in Christ. You're older believers and younger believers together. And together, John wants to encourage his readers. Look to Jesus. Remember who he is and all he has done for you. And that's important because actually we're in a world full of division. There's so many things that divide us, whether that is age, nationality, experience, personal taste, the rugby team you support. There's so many things that can divide us. And yet, John reminds us of a precious truth. The same Jesus who saved an older believer saves a younger believer. The same Jesus rescues people of any age and all ages and brings them into God's family, his church. And together we can rest and rejoice in the saving work of Jesus for each one of us as we look to him. And again, just think how precious that was to John's original readers. That they're, they're unsettled. People have are, are rejected them. They feel weary, full of doubts. But John says, don't look at yourself. Remember what Jesus has done for you. These people who've left the church saying, you guys aren't really spiritual. You're not really God's people. John says, actually, listen to my verdict, he says. I'm writing to you because all these things are true of you because of Jesus. So what does John remind them of? I think there's three central truths we're going to rattle through um, here. So I think he says, through Jesus, he says, our sins are forgiven. Very simply, he says, verse 12, I'm writing to you, dear children, that's the whole church, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And one says he's just reminding us of what he's already said. He's, the forgiveness won for us by Jesus has been a central part of John's message up to this point. And his name, that's the name of Jesus. And that's kind of shorthand for the person and work of Jesus. When the New Testament says, believe in the name of Jesus, it's like believe in who Jesus is and all he has done for you. And the name Jesus, it, it's the Greek form of the Hebrew Joshua. And it means the Lord saves. It's the human name for Jesus. And it's just so precious to Christians. Because we say the name Jesus, remember, the Son of God didn't just stay aloof from us. He came down and became one of us. And he did it to save us. The word of life, says John, he was seen, listened to, touched, fully God, fully human. He has come to save us. And how does he save us? John told us at the beginning of chapter two, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. John said, Jesus laid down his life for us as a sacrifice for us. He took the wrath of God on our sin on himself. He took it all on himself so that we are free from our slavery to sin. 
that moment of Jesus' death outside Jerusalem in about the year AD 33, the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. The barrier between a holy God and sinful people was taken away by the death of Jesus. And our sins are forgiven on account of his name. And what does that mean for us as a gathering of all ages? It means, again, we've already said it, but we don't have to hide from God anymore. And we don't have to hide from each other anymore. We can come clean. That's the sort of thing that, that sort of our parent says when they're angry. Oh, come clean. Was it you? Was it you? But come clean is what it's about. We come to God and he washes us clean. He purifies us from all our sin by the blood of Jesus. There's a song we used to sing at Avenue, a kid's song, Jesus died, so I don't have to hide anymore. That's what John is telling these Christians. And secondly, through Jesus, we know God as our father. He's not this distant, terrifying, holy person. He's actually our father because he's Jesus' father and Jesus brings us into God's family. Verse 13, I'm writing to you fathers, that's the older believers, because you know him who's from the beginning. Who's him from the beginning? That's actually a reference to Jesus. We've seen um, in the earlier bits, he's the word of life from the beginning. And at the heart of the Christian life is a personal knowledge of Jesus. And as we get to know Jesus, we get to know God the Father. We get to know the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Verse 14, anyone who trusts in Jesus can now say, I know the Father, because Jesus reveals him to us. Again, we sometimes think, well, what is God really like? Can anyone really know God? And we say, actually, the only reason we can is because Jesus makes God known. He's the image of the invisible God, the Word made flesh. And Jesus said to his disciples, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. If we ever doubt what God's like, maybe we go, I quite like the look of Jesus, but God, the Father, he sounds scary. Jesus says, no, no, look at me, and you've seen the Father. Get to know Jesus, and you get to know God as your Father. And thirdly and finally, amazingly, John says that through Jesus, we have victory over the evil one. Listen again to how John addresses the younger believers he's writing to. Verse 13, I'm writing to you, young man, because you have overcome the evil one. And verse 14, he adds to it, he says, I write to you, young man, because you're strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you've overcome the evil one. And you might think, well, man, these must be really strong Christians. But again, think back to who these Christians are. They, they feel weak. They feel discouraged. They're full of doubts. They do not feel strong. John says, actually, I'm going to give you my verdict. Don't listen to what those other people are saying. You are strong because the word of God lives in you. The word of God that leads you to Jesus, that reminds you of what Jesus has done for you. Again, here, John is just opening up a bit, he's going to go into a lot of in the next bit of the letter, which is that the Christian life, it's a spiritual battle. The evil one he refers to, we're going to hear more about him in the rest of the letter, the, the enemy of God and God's people. John's also going to talk a lot about the world in the next bit, which in 1 John refers to everything opposed to God and God's people. So John's readers, they face powerful enemies. They face the Roman Empire that was somebody's persecuted him. They face false teachers telling them that they're mad to trust Jesus. And behind both of them, they've got the evil one and the world out to get them. And what does John say? He says, believe this. Through Jesus, you have overcome the evil one. You have victory. Not because you're strong. It's because Jesus is strong. I think the picture John paints here reminds me, it's a bit like the school playground. And the evil one, if you like, is, is the school bully. 
the, the, the big guy, just, he just everyone feels so small next to you. They just feel stronger than us. You have to do whatever that bully says. But now, someone new enters the playground. And he's bigger than the bully. And he's greater than the bully. And his, his name is Jesus. He's your older brother. And he's going to fight for you. And he's on your side. And he overcomes the enemy. And then he says, actually, you don't have to be scared of him anymore. Don't listen to him. Stick with me. We might still feel weak sometimes. John's readers felt weak. But John goes, actually, you have overcome the evil one. Because Jesus won the victory, and he shares it with everyone who trusts in him. See what John's doing. He says, if you're feeling weak, if you're feeling weary, if you're full of doubts, it's not about the things that you do. It's not about how strong your faith may seem. It's about who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Jesus, think back to those doubts we had. Is God really there? Jesus is the proof that God's there because he's God come near to us. Is God really good? We sometimes think Jesus, he's the proof that God is good because he gave the most precious thing he had to save us. Does God really love me? But John says, I can say with certainty, if you're trusting in Jesus, he lavishes his love on you as members of his family. Again, this little refrain in 1 John, this little section just picks up things we're going to see in the rest of the letter. True assurance, true confidence when we're doubting rests on Jesus. Not on us, not on how we're doing, how other people around us are doing, on Jesus and all that he has done for us in living and dying and rising again. So where do we go with a passage like this? I think a really key way that we look to Jesus and remember all this is together as a community made up of all ages. People who are standing and sitting at different times, we all have a part to play in strengthening one another when we feel weak, in speaking the truth to one another when we're full of doubts, in praying for one another when we're struggling. That's a big part of why we gather like this every Sunday. John read at the beginning, we, we gather to spur one another on because we, we need one another. Left on our own, we're going to start to forget who Jesus is. We're going to start to doubt. We're just going to think, well, maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe I'm crazy to trust in Jesus. But that is why we gather together like this on a Sunday. We hear God's word, the truth of who Jesus is. We sing God's word to each other. We pray together. We spend time Together, we take bread and wine regularly to remember Jesus' death on the cross for us. And then that's what our home groups are about, lifting one another's eyes to Jesus. What Sunday club is about, lifting our eyes to Jesus. What Source is about, lifting our eyes to Jesus. What Ace is about, lifting our eyes to Jesus. And sometimes we just need to stop and do that. John's got a lot to say in his letter. It's really interesting. He just takes this time just to stop and go, right, everyone. I've said a lot about Jesus. Let's pause. Let that sink in. He lived the life you couldn't live. He died the death you deserve to die in your place. He defeated the evil one and death, and now he lives forever, and he shares his victory with you. If you're trusting in Jesus, you're on the winning side because of what Jesus has done for you. That's what the Apostle John's telling us this morning. 
It's a precious, precious truth. Let me pray for us as we finish. Let me, let me pray. Father God, we want to be honest with you that there's so many voices around us telling us who we are, who we should be. Lord, and often we feel kind of weak and weary. Lord, we live in a world where loads of people don't trust in you and maybe think we're crazy for trusting in you. And there's times when we're kind of okay with that and other times that really shakes us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that our confidence, our assurance doesn't rest on us or the things we do, or even how big our faith is. It rests on you. Lord Jesus, the, the life you lived, the death you died, the resurrection you share with us. Father God, we thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit when we trust in Jesus to strengthen us, to keep us going. And Father, we thank you you've given us each other. People of different ages, different backgrounds, different interests, different strengths and weaknesses. And yet you put us together to spur one another on, to encourage one another in who Jesus is and all that he has done for us. Even today, Lord, would you show us maybe people we can encourage when we're gathered in this place, whether that's just even someone we want to pray for, pray with, just spend time with. Lord, thank you that you know, you knew what you were doing when you gathered us together as your people. You want us to help each other lift our eyes to Jesus. Thank you we can be honest with you about our sin, about our doubts, about our struggles. Thank you that in Jesus, you've come near to us. And therefore, Father, we can have confidence approaching you. Help us just today just to, to, to take a few moments to let that sink in, to rejoice and to rest in who your son Jesus is and all he has won for us. And we ask that for the glory of his name and for the strength that we need to keep living for him. Amen.